This morning, we're going to be reading uh, from 1 Peter, verses 3 through 9. That's page 1014 in the Pew Bible. 1 Peter, starting at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is kept imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." As always, we encourage you to open up to that uh, passage if you haven't already done so, so you can follow along as we go through the text this morning here. This is um, our second uh, sermon in our new series here in First Peter. Uh, we're going to be looking at the passage that Mark just read for us, so grateful for that. As we get started, here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine that you logged on to your bank account um, and saw that you have a balance of zero. You switch over to check your investment accounts or retirement accounts, and you find out that those, too, have a zero balance. How do you feel in that moment? Okay, let's uh, change the imaginary tale just a bit here. Let's say you had an unexpected bill that comes up, and it's going to literally cost every cent that you can scrape together. You've got to cash in. Every retirement thing, you got to cash in investments. I mean, you got to, in order to pay this bill and all the cash you have, and you do it and you pay for it, and the bill's paid, but you have zero money. And then the next day, you get in the mail another bill for twice the amount of the first one. How do you feel? Probably hopeless in that moment. Probably like, what, what are we going to do here? Um, you know, Peter is writing to a group of people that are starting to feel hopeless. And so you know what Peter tells them to do? He says, I know you're feeling hopeless, but I want you to praise God for his mercy. <laughs> now that is not the message that you would think that would be on Peter's lips right away, right? You know, when it says that they're walking through this time where they're, they're tempted to feel hopeless, they're going through a difficult time, and it was much more than a financial thing here, although some of the words that are used in this text are also used in other literature uh, from the same time period that have this idea of this intense weight that comes through financial burden. And so uh, I don't think that that was the main thing that they were dealing with here, although there were financial concerns that these individuals that these people had that Peter was writing to, 
but they were dealing with some very significant difficulty, uh, persecutions and trials and things like that. And so, but what does he do? He writes to them and he says, I want you to praise God for his mercy. Look at verse three. He says, bless be to God. There's this idea of, I want you to praise God. Bless be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, why? Because according to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so what he's doing here is he's saying it's because we can praise God for his mercy because it's through his mercy that we can be born again. Now, what does it mean to be born again? Sometimes there's a, there's a phrase there. That's a phrase that um, uh, some people have uh, uh, different ideas about or whatever. Really, I mean, Jesus used the same phrase. Remember when he was talking to Nicodemus? Remember in John's gospel, he says, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus, the Pharisee, the great leader, he didn't understand that. He says, well, wait a minute. What do you mean born again? A man, when he's old, enters his mother's womb again. What are you talking about here, Jesus, here? He was talking about a whole new life that is found because of God's mercy, by grace, through faith, that we can have uh, a new life here. And that's what he's talking about here. He says, in that when you're starting to feel hopeless, he says, praise God for his mercy. And so what he's going to do here is he's going to unpack for us a little bit here what it means to be born again and what that actually looks like here. And so that's what we're going to do over the next few minutes here. But I'm going to pause, ask God's blessing, and uh, then we'll, we'll continue on with our text here. Father, I don't know uh, everyone who is here today, well, what they're walking through, and whether there are some people here, maybe online, that are are, are struggling with a sense of hopelessness or uh, just a feeling of pressure about culture around us or difficulties in life. or I don't, I don't know, God. Um, but I know that to this group of people that Peter was writing here that they were, they were really going through some tough times. And they were starting to feel hopeless. And then this is the message that he had for them. And so I pray that as we consider that for our own lives, that, that we would be faithful to the text here. And I pray that I would communicate in a way that is helpful and is accurate to the scriptures here. And God, we just ask that we be led by your spirit. Me as a speaker and those who are listening here, uh, remove distractions from all of our minds here. And at the end of the day, we want you to be honored. We want you to be magnified, you to be glorified uh, by, by how we spend this time together today. So, Lord, just, we're just asking for your enablement and your help. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. So we're going to look at a new hope. We're going to look at a new life with a future inheritance. And then we're going to look at a new life of joy this morning here. Let's, 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 let's begin with this new life of hope. I don't have a lot of slides, so it's mainly the main points and everything. So if you're used to maybe a lot more information on screen uh, today, it's going to be a little bit less than, than normal, just so you know. So uh, just so you're aware of that. When he says here in verse 3, he says that it's according to the mercy that he's caused us to be born again to a living hope here. So what Peter is describing here for the people, he says, here's the reason. Even though you're going through a difficult time in life, even though you're going through difficulty, even though things are not going well, and it things, that, things just seem chaotic, it seems like you're trying to do the right thing, and then you're, you're, you're getting kicked in the teeth for it, so to speak here. He says, I want you to praise God for his mercy because it's according to his mercy that you have this new life, this new life just being born again and he says it's to a living hope you have even though all the things that are difficult all the things that are bad you have a hope that other people don't have because you are a believer of Jesus Christ because you have a relationship with Christ because you've trusted in him because of what he's done in your life you have this living hope and and it says what do you mean by this living hope here you know theologians are kind of divided and not necessarily in a in a in a, in a contradictory way but just in point of emphasis rather on what 
what Peter might have meant by this idea of living hope. Uh, you have one school of thought that has the idea of, well, this is a growing hope. This is a, a hope that, that over time and as people mature, particularly spiritually, that it grows and gets stronger and stronger. I think that's legitimate. I think that could be what, what he's emphasizing here. But I also think in, 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 in tandem with that, it's, it's the idea of more than just that is growing for themselves, but it's the idea of that is a living hope, and he says it because it's based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, the reason why I say this is because he brings that up in the text. He brings the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says, uh, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead at the end of verse 3. Now, the reason why I think that is important is because res- the resurrection is important because it means that death is not the final chapter. That's why he, call- he brings the resurrection of Jesus up to these believers who are going through a difficult time. They're going through trials. They, they're, they're, they're losing their sense of this idea of, of security in this life. Uh, financially, we talked about. Even their own personal safety. All of this is happening in real time in their life. And what Peter does to them, he says, listen, if you've been born again, you have a living hope. It's a hope that's based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so you can see that death is not the final chapter here. Can't you see how that would be encouraging? Can't you see how that would be, it'd be uplifting to someone to say, well, wait a minute here. If this isn't the final chapter, then it doesn't really matter so much. But if in our worldview, this is the final chapter, if this is what all of our hope is rooted in this world, when it's not going well here, you can see where that would be very discouraging and very disconcerting and disorienting to these people. So what Peter's doing here, very, very, very graciously, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he's saying, I want you to understand that when you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he's given you a hope that is based upon the resurrection. So it's a living hope. Death is not the final thing. And furthermore, what's implicit with this idea of the resurrection is that God's wrath has been satisfied. That's the beauty of the resurrection. So when Jesus died, you know, the reason why Jesus died, let's just back up for a second here. The reason why Jesus died was because the Bible calls, it talks about the penalty of sin is death. Romans chapter 3 says, for the wages of sin is death. Romans chapter 6, for the wages of sin is death. In fact, that goes back into the Garden of, uh, of Eden. When, when God told Adam and Eve, of all the trees you can eat, but of this one tree, don't eat of this tree. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Okay? So death is the punishment for sin right there. So when Jesus came and he lived a life of perfect obedience, he didn't have to die. Do you understand that? That Jesus did not have to die. You and I, we we know that one day we're going to die. Everyone understands that. We just believe it. We've accepted it because that's just how it goes. It's part of what, you know, living in a sin-cursed world, we're going to die one day. The penalty is more than just a physical death, though it's an eternal separation from God. But Jesus, he didn't have to experience any of that because he never sinned. But he willfully laid down his life, and he experienced death so that all the righteousness that he had lived could be put on our account and that then he could take that penalty and that it could be our penalty that we deserve to take, he experienced for us. And the Bible says, well, how do you get that exchange? Well, it's through believing in him and following him is what the scriptures teach. 
And so this is what, what, what Peter is teaching here. He says you have a living hope. A living hope is because it shows you it's based on the resurrection of Christ that death is not the final chapter here. So you know that there's something else for you to look forward to. There's life beyond this life here. And then also it's, it's an encouragement that just so you know that when you believe in Christ, the resurrection proves that God's wrath is satisfied because when Jesus rose again, it was saying that he had fully paid the penalty and so he didn't have to stay dead so it's a beautiful master it's a masterful way for peter to bring encouragement to this really just depressed people or people that were going through this incredibly difficult time he said i know things are difficult for you but i want you to praise god for his mercy because he's given you a way he's given you a way to have eternal life have this new life and it is a living hope here it's a living hope And so today, maybe you're here today, and maybe you are walking through a difficult season in life. Can I just encourage you that you can have a living hope through Jesus Christ? I mean, it is the only way for us to truly have hope in this life. And you say, well, you know, well, what about a good work ethic? Yes, you need to have a good work ethic. You need to work hard. You need to do all that. But, you know, we've all known stories of people who have worked hard, and it still hasn't worked out for them in the end. We all know that riches and money that kind of has a way. Uh, I think Proverbs talks about this. It has a way of like sprouting wings and flying away, right? You know, we, can, we can save money and we can, we can be financially wise and all that. But at the end of the day, Proverbs is very clear. Do not put our hope and our security in our finances. Do not put our hope and our security in our health. Because in a moment, health can change. Do not put our hope and security in anything else other than Jesus Christ. And when we have that new life in him, by, by, by believing him, accepting his gift, and, and asking him, repenting of our sins, the Bible is very clear that we have a living hope here. It's a beautiful thing. But he, 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 he explains this new, this new life uh, more than just a new hope, a life of, of living hope here. He talks about it as a life with a future inheritance. Again, this is kind of based on the resurrection there that, that death is not the final chapter. But did you notice in the text where in verse 4 he says, okay, this is after verse 3, he talks about this new, this being born again to a living hope. And then he says two, so he tells what does being born again is first to a living hope. And then in verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. I mean, that's a beautiful verse right there. That what we have in the midst of difficulty, what these people are walking through, and you have to understand that they were exiled away from their homeland. They had to leave. They had to, they had to just flee. And when you're exiled and you have to flee, you can't take a lot of stuff with you. I mean, you're, you're, you're kind of on the run, and you've you got to take things. You know, we heard the, the missionary update uh, of, you know, people that were in Russia and having to be exiled out there and flee there. They, they didn't have a whole lot of time to take a lot of things with them. So the, the, the comforts that kind of give security to everyday life, those are gone. Okay? That's what these people are dealing with. They're dealing with being marginalized. They probably couldn't get work. So it's, they want to earn money. They want to work hard. But how do they get that? They're, they're, they're resident aliens in, these, in, this, in this other place here where they're trying to figure things out. It's a difficult season for them. It's very difficult. And one of the ways that Peter's trying to encourage these believers who are, do, are suffering because of their faith in Christ, 
he encourages them. He says, not only do you have a hope, I want you to praise God for his mercy because this new birth, this new life gives you a new hope. He says, but you have a future inheritance here. Think about how encouraging it is for someone who has nothing. It's gone. It's taken away. And maybe some of you have lost things. Just let me encourage you that there's a future inheritance here. And, and look how he describes it. He says, imperishable. What does that mean? This idea is it's permanent. It's not going to die. This, this, uh, this, um, uh, this inheritance that we have that's been promised to us through our, our, our relationship with Christ, it is not going to go away. It's permanent. What other inheritance do you know of that's permanent? I mean, you know, my, my brother and I, we, we always joked about, you know, my, my dad had this, uh, uh, this pay phone, okay? So my dad went through this, this craze uh, when I was younger. He went through this craze where, where he had, uh, he put a phone in every room in the house, okay? And he had extensions, and, you know, you remember when we had landlines? Do you remember those days? Okay. And so we, he had a phone in every room in the house, every room, even the bathroom, there's a phone there, you know. So we laugh at that now, but everyone takes their phone to the bathroom anyway, right? You know, so, but, you know, it's like this, this phone in every room in the house. And then in the kitchen, I'll never forget, he had this pay phone that he had bought. And it, it's an old kind of, uh, you know, now it's an antique, but it was just this really cool payphone that it worked. And uh, you didn't have to put money in it to, it to use, but we always told the guests that you did. Um, so, um, so that was kind of fun. But, um, but the, uh, the idea is that, that he had this phone. It was just this really cool thing. It's just kind of one of those memories. Like I can go back to that first house that, you know, when I was five years old, you know, and, and where it was in the kitchen. And so I remember my older brother and I talking about that we both wanted this thing, right, you know. You know, it's like, and so we're talking to dad one time. We're like, hey, dad, you know, when it comes time to divvy up, you know, all your stuff here, you know, I want the phone. Yeah, I want the pay phone. And my brother's like, no, I want the pay phone. And he's older than me, so I thought of that disadvantage. But I'm bigger, so, you know, you know, <laughs> it's like, what, how do we do this? And so we're just kind of more of a playful thing, you know, just talking about that. And then, you know, a, a couple years ago, or, or my dad was just like, you know, hey, whoever you guys fight over, you know, just take it. Because it's sitting in the basement, it's collecting dust and things like this. It's in my house. So... Um, <laughs> Now, I, I, guys, I, it's through my brother's graciousness. He's like, I don't have space for you. He goes, you know, try to ship this thing out to California. No way. He's like, no, just take it. You can have it and everything like that. So it was my brother's graciousness, honestly. But I bring that up to say is as cool as that is, that inheritance, so to speak. And that's, you know, that's my inheritance, right? Um, is it going to last forever? I mean, it's not going to last forever. It's, it's, it's an object that it, it could break, it could be stolen, it could just, you know, get lost, whatever it is. I mean, it, it's not permanent. What here Peter is saying here, he's saying the inheritance that the Father's given to you through this new life, this being born again into this new family and other places, Paul talks about being adopted into a family. He's saying what you're getting will not, it's permanent. It will not go away. So the things that you, remember those things that you had in the homeland and now in the exile that you've lost and the, the thing that was helpful to you and now it is gone, the inheritance that you're getting because of the new birth in Christ, because of being born again into Christ, that will not happen to you in eternity. It is permanent. Can't you see why that's an encouraging word to them, these exiles here? But not only is it permanent, it says there is, is uh, undone. 
imperishable, but it says undefiled. It means it's pure, that there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. That even in the best of inheritances that we can get in this life, it, we can't say everything's pure here. And there's, there's positives and negatives to it. And, and, and we've seen where in some cases where someone gets an inheritance from a family member, and it actually is, is almost of a curse to them. Maybe it's because of, of, of the money that was given to them, and then it was either mismanaged or there was fighting over it or something like that. And again, it's like it's, it's nothing's pure in this life here except for the Word of God. And so here we have this, this command, or not command, this, this uh, characteristic, is my, what I meant to say, of, of this uh, inheritance that we have to look forward to that is pure. So what we have to look forward to, what is laid up for us, and we're waiting to receive because of our new birth, being born again to a living hope, is we have this inheritance that is undefiled, it is pure. It's unfading, it is pristine, it is always in mint condition, it never loses the shine, it never, it, 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 we never go tired of it in some ways. I mean, in some of the things that are so important to us today that we really want it, it's not very important to us tomorrow or in 10 years or 15 or 20 years. It's, but this inheritance that is promised through a new life in Christ is pristine. These are the words that Peter's using to remind them that the things that you had security in and are now gone, that's not where your security was supposed to be anyway. It's in this future inheritance. And, uh, and then he talks about this. It's kept in heaven for you. It's kept in heaven for you. And these are the people here. He goes on in the next verse that says that they're guarded by God's power through faith for salvation to be feel, fully revealed in the end. It's being, this inheritance is being protected and it's being kept in heaven for you. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but there's, there's been times where I've been flying someplace, and so, you know, I book my plane ticket, and uh, I get the reservation, and you walk up to the counter or whatever like this, and they say, you know, and they'll go, oh, yeah, we're going to have to put you on a different flight. I said, well, why is that? Well, because the flight is overbooked. And I think to myself, but I had a reservation. Yes, I understand. You had a reservation, but it, the, the flight is overbooked. So you, what you're telling me is I really didn't have a reservation. No, no, no. You had a reservation, but it's overbooked. <laughs> if I have a reservation, doesn't that mean it's reserved for me? Yes, okay, but we've reserved too many seats for too many people. You might want to rethink this. <laughs> you know, so that's never going to happen with God's inheritance. We're not going to get to heaven. Interesting thing here. Okay. <laughs> we reserved a lot of inheritance, you know, and then at the end there's a little bit more, you know, than we initially planned on, and so you're not going to kind of get what you want or what you thought you were going to get. That's never going to happen with God because the inheritance is being kept, is being guarded so that we will have it one day when our life on this earth is done and God takes us into eternity if we have this new life in Christ, right? If we're being born again, this is what he's saying is the basis of, of encouraging, saying praise God, blessed be to God because of his mercy. And he says you can have this new life and this inheritance and it's being guarded. It will never be lost. That is so encouraging. I mean, in all the ways that I tend to mess things up in this world, 
right? The things that I'll say sometimes and it kind of messes it up or whatever like this. I don't have to worry about that because it's not being based upon my keeping it. God's keeping it. I'm so thankful for that. He uses my faith, of course, but it is God that is keeping it. It's a beautiful thing. So any inheritance that we hope to receive in this life here is going to lose its value over time. It's going to, it's going to lose its shine. It's, it's not going to be as good as we, we'd hoped it to be possibly. And we could even lose the inheritance that was once promised to us. How many times have we heard that in history where like, you know, someone gets written out of the will at the last second because of a fight that they had. That's never going to happen with God. It's kept in heaven for you. It's a beautiful thing. So this encouragement that Peter is giving to his people is based on this idea that, listen, you have this future inheritance and you have something to look forward to here. And it's interesting like this is, is when we think about it this way, what we believe about the future shapes how we live in the present. What we think about the future really has an impact on how we live in today. If I know that God has secured an inheritance for me through the work of Christ and what he's done on the cross, and that it's imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading, it's protected, it's kept in heaven, it's secure, that really gives me great liberty in this life. That gives me great liberty and to, to, to follow God and to obey his commandments and, and to, to seek after him and, and understand that I'm going to mess up at times when I don't have to worry about them when I mess up that God's not going to say, okay, well, we've got to take that, that inheritance away now. I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't matter. Of course it matters. But what I am saying is that it's Christ and his work on the cross that gives us hope. And it's a living hope. And it's a hope to an inheritance here. It's a beautiful thing. And so this actually should energize us to follow him. It should energize us to obey him and to seek after him because of what has been promised to us here. So what we believe about the future shapes how we live in the present. So this, this new being born again here, okay, he says that we're being born again by his mercy, so we need to praise God for that. It's, 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 we have this living hope. Now we have this inheritance to look forward to. But then there's one other thing that, that Peter talks about here, and, and I should have said this on the front end. This is actually a really difficult text in the sense trying to break it down grammatically. We have punctuation here, but in the original language, when Peter wrote this, verses 3 through 12 is one big, long, run-on sentence. Try diagramming that, okay? Um, this is one big, long, run-on sentence. And so we're trying to piece out main themes that he's bringing out here. And the next one he talks about here is this new life of joy. Now, where do we see that? Okay, so we've talked about this inheritance in verses 4 and 5. And then he says in verse 6, he says, okay, so in this, I believe this goes back to the hope. So in this hope that we have through the resurrection of Jesus Christ to an inheritance because of being born again by the mercy of God that we should be praising him for, he says, in this you rejoice, okay, you should bring joy. He says, you, you, you got to have joy in this. And when we consider some of these things, yeah, the, the, the response should be joy of what Christ has done for us. But then he introduces another subject here. It almost seems like it's coming out of left field. Like, you know, Peter, what are you doing here? You know, this is a new thought here. Make a new paragraph here. But actually, what he's doing is he's saying this joy is so good 
that even the worst of trials cannot kill this joy. And so why he's doing that is, is because he says, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So he brings up trials into this. And why he's doing this is he's trying to show the power of joy that comes from the new life in Christ, okay? This new birth, being born again, the power of joy that comes from that. Peter, to show that power, Peter discusses what is threatening their joy, and that is namely trials, okay? So that's why he brings it up here. So let me talk about the trials for a few minutes here. Several observations that Peter brings here, trials are necessary, He's like, what? Where do you get that? Okay, look at the text. Verse 6, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. There are times where trials are necessary in our lives, and we don't like it. There's never been a time where trials come into my life, and I've just like immediately thought, oh yeah, this, I needed this one. I need this one. This is good. Yeah. I've been hoping for this. In fact, you know, I was kind of wishing those, I mean, this is kind of a wimpy one, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go with it, you know. No, I mean, but I have to believe based on this and based on what we know to be true of God that they're necessary. Now, I need to make a clarifying point here. This is not talking what Peter's talking about in the book. He is not talking about going through a difficult situation as a result of sinful decisions. He's talking about going through difficult decisions as a result of trying to follow God and live soberly, righteously, and godly. How do I know that? In chapter 2 of this book, he talks about this. He says in verse 19, he says, For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when you sin if you are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure it, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Okay, so he's making a distinction here. When he's talking about suffering unjustly and going through difficulty here, it's because of you trying to follow Christ, you're being obedient to Christ, and it's not being received well. Okay, that's what he's talking about here. He makes a distinction, you know, because some people will say, you know, you know I, 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 I'm just having this really difficult life. I'm just, these are my trials, and, you know, God's bringing my life. But when you look back at it, it's just as a result of really bad decisions that they've made. That's not what Peter's talking about here. I just want to make sure we're very clear on that. He's talking about people who are following Christ, and they're going through difficulty here. And Peter says, yeah, that's necessary. That's necessary. Why? How, how could that be necessary? Well, he, the text goes on. He says that you've been grieved with various trials so that, there's explaining here, the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so what he's saying here is he's saying this is to test the genuineness of your faith. Genuine faith. And he talks about how that, and he gives this illustration here of, of uh, like, you know, uh, gold being put into fire so that they can be purified and all the impurities can come to the top. But, but then he even talks about that it can get to the point where even gold can perish, he talks about here. He says, not so. What he's saying here is he's saying your faith, true, genuine faith, what has been tested is of more valuable than anything in the world. Genuine faith in Christ is of more value than anything else. And so sometimes trials has to test whether or not we have genuine faith. Now, I, I was pondering this and thinking, okay, but 
who is the audience here? Who, who is this demonstration for? Is it for God? Is it for me? I mean, who is this for? Well, I think there's multiple audiences here. I think in one respect is, is if I go through a trial and, my, and, 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 I, and I is tested, my faith is tested, that's encouraging to me. Not in a prideful sense, but in a sense of God has carried me through this. God is good. I endured this. I think that's part of it. I, I think there's another part of it too in the sense of it's, it's also for God. You say, well, wait a minute here. What, what God, how so with God? I mean, God knows everything. I mean, it's not like he's, he's, he's in the dark about this, but I don't think it's in that way. I, I, I think what, what's going on here is that, remember, in John chapter 17, Jesus is talking about the people that God the Father has given to him, and then he's re- re- giving him back. He's, he's, he's accomplishing their salvation. He's giving it back to the Father. All those who believe in him are giving it back to the Father, okay, as a gift. This is one of those situations where Jesus is saying, do you see their tested faith? Do you see it's genuine? What we've accomplished to get Father here and through the work and their life and the cross and the resurrection, the believing in him, there's a grace. He says, this is what's happened here. So it's a demonstration of the goodness of what has been accomplished in salvation here. But then there's another audience that this is important for. And later on in this book, Peter's going to say, he says, you must give an answer for the hope that is within you, okay? Who's he giving the answer to? Those around us who are watching Christians go through difficult times and they say, there's something different about that person. The way they're responding difficultly, why is it that you have a hope? I believe this is chapter 3, verse 15. He says, you have this hope that is within you. And it, it, it how is it? How is that even possible? Because of what you've been experiencing. See, that's the tested genuineness of your faith right there. And so the other people will say, wait a minute here. So there's an evangelistic component to this. This evangelistic component of if when we respond with faith, in, you know, even in the midst of trials because we're resting our hope in this future inheritance, in this new life that we have that's been given by the mercy of God that we're praising him for, then we say there's an evangelistic component to this of like, hey, we have an answer for why we can, can, can stand fast through difficult times. You know, this has, this has remnants of the book of Job, right? The story of Job in it, as we think about the, a very similar thing here. So, genuine faith is of more valuable than anything else the world can offer. It's going to result in praise, glory, and honor. And that's a promise that's been given to us. So, a, 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 a faith, so if you're walking through difficult trials right now, you, or you're going to be soon, and your faith is tested, that will result in, in uh, uh, glory, that will result in honor, that will result in praise, and that is a promise. Now, this had to be comforting, because these people, they must have been tempted to think that the trials and tribulations that they were going through, they were, must have been tempted at times to think that that was a sign of God's displeasure or God's judgment or even his absence from him. And what Peter's saying here is saying nothing can be further from the truth than that. Nothing can be further from the truth than that. And so trials, they're necessary if necessary, he says. Some trials are just necessary that, that as a result of, of we're following God and it's not being received well. Life is difficult. He says it's necessary. Another thing about trials is he says it comes in a variety of form. There's an interesting word here. It says at the end of verse 6, it says that you have been grieved by various trials. Uh, the word there means innumerable. 
It means like there's so many categories that you just can't even list them all. And I think that's intentional by, by Peter to show that, you know, the difficulties of life and the way that things come our way, it's uh, it as a result of trying to live and follow Christ. That's going to come in a lot of different ways. That can come economically. That could come uh, through being ridiculed at work. Or that could come through tension, uh, through family members. Or I mean, there's so many different ways that this could come. And that's what the word is getting here. It's like, man... So many different ways, and that can be easily to be discouraged about. But I want to point out something. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. But um, in, um, in chapter 4, so turn to page. In chapter 4, we'll get here eventually. But in chapter 4, he's, he's talking about serving God uh, with the gifts that we have. And in verse 10, he says this. As each, this is chapter 4, verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Same word. Varied, various, same word. So the same word that Peter uses to describe the trials of being innumerable and you can't put you know, the categories and all, they're just too many to list, he uses the same word for God's grace. He says, no matter what comes, God's grace is indeed sufficient. It's a beautiful thing, the way Peter does this. So trials are necessary. They come in a variety of forms. And then, and this is going to be like one of those obvious things here. It's like, well, well, duh. But trials are difficult, okay? Trials are difficult. But he says this. He says, being grieved by various trials. So this idea of grieving here, it's, it's, it, this is like a deep grief or an emotional stress. I, I mentioned earlier that, that this word is also used in other literature from the same period that uh, we have access to today from what I've read about, of, that it's great financial loss. And the pain and the emotional stress that comes with that or, or, or even a situation of like being constantly harassed by annoying neighbors. Um, I, 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 we once, there was a, in a previous church that we were ministering in uh, many years ago, there was a, a family that uh, their next door neighbors uh, just really had it in for them. And I don't know all the stories and everything like this. I just know that, I mean, we're talking, this neighbor called the police on them for over the littlest things. We're talking hundreds of times and, you know, threats and things like this. I don't know. I've never had that experience, but living next door to someone who you know that they are just trying anything possible to make your life miserable. That would be intensely stressful. When you go home, you kind of want to go home and be free from some of the stress and stuff. But imagine going home and living next to someone who that's their sole desire and goal is to make your life stressful. That type of emotional, that type of mental strain is what's going on here with this word of being grieved here or just a piling up of all of life's sorrows here. So the reason why this is important is because Peter's not sugarcoating the trials. He's not saying that, well, it's not that bad. He's embracing the difficulty of this. And he says they're necessary. And remember the point he's connecting. He's shown how bad trials are to show the power of joy that the new life brings. Because then it comes to this. Trials are temporary. He says that um, uh, in, uh, uh, let's see here, where is it? In... Um, uh, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, he says. He says it's not going to last forever. It, it may last the rest of your life on this earth, 
But that's a little wild in comparison to eternity. And so there's the hope that he gives here that it's temporary is for a season. I like what uh, one uh, author that I, I wrote, he said this, I read that he, he wrote about this. He said, when God permits his children to go through the furnace, he keeps his eye on the clock and his hand on the thermostat. I like that. That is temporary that, that this is something that, is, that, is, that he's not going to allow them to go through something that is beyond the capacity that he will give them to endure. We see this in 1 Corinthians. We see this with the book of Job. We see these illustrations of that. That when God allows people to walk through trials, he still is caring through the process. So joy comes through loving Jesus and believing him. We see this in the text here. Um, that, that It says that though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, I'm in verse 8, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So let me bring this to a conclusion. I put this together here so that you could kind of see a little bit of what I, 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 I this, where this text is going here. We see God's mercy. We see this in the beginning, according to his grace, great mercy, verse 3. That brings us a new hope, a new life, rather, that we're being born again, okay, through faith in Jesus Christ. And then that gives us a hope, which gives us a joy in the midst of trials. Now, it's easy to look around and get discouraged. It's easy to want to give up. There's a time in Peter's life Maybe you know the story I'm referring to. He was in a boat. And Jesus appeared to them and came walking on the water. And Peter, being who Peter was, says, Lord, tell me to come to you. Tell me to come to you. And Jesus says, come. You remember the story. You remember Peter in this tremendous act of faith. He takes his foot and he puts it over the edge and he stands up on the water. Faith in Christ. And he starts beginning to walk to Jesus. I mean, no other disciple did that. No other disciple did that. If I'm in the boat, I'm, it's not even going to cross my mind. Yeah, maybe I can walk on water too, Jesus. Not even going to cross my mind. I've shared with you before how I'm not a great swimmer, okay? All right, so I'm going to stay in the boat. But there's this storm going on, and he goes out there, and he's walking to Jesus. Now, some of you know, remember the story. You know what's going to happen. What happens is, is that the Bible says that Peter, seeing the winds and the waves, beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus reached down, grabbed him, pulled him up, and he says, why did you doubt? You see, when he, as long as he kept his eyes on Christ, he was fine. But once he started looking around and seeing how bad everything was, he's like, wait a minute here. And he started to sink. You see, this was, it, it, you know, he took his eyes off Christ just for a moment, and it could have cost him his life. But just, just like the mercy here, Jesus showed mercy to him and saved him. So here's, I guess, the point I'm trying to make. Don't look down. Don't look around. Look to Christ. Look to Christ. That's where you're going to find hope. This new life that we're talking about here, the Bible makes it very clear how that happens. It, 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 no one's naturally born into God's family. The Bible says that Jesus came and he died on the cross for our sins. So what does that mean? Does that mean everyone's automatically saved? Well, no, because the Bible says that we have to believe in him. The Bible says, for, uh, uh, for call upon him, Lord, and you'll be saved. So my, my, my appeal to everyone here is believe in Jesus. Keep your eyes on him. Follow him. Follow after Jesus Christ. 
Don't look down. Don't look around. Look to Christ. Only in him he will find, you will find new life of hope and joy. You know, um, the Bible talks about repentance and how that we have to repent of our sins. And that means to, to forsake our sins and to turn away from our sins and believe in Jesus Christ. We have to ask God to forgive us of our sins and, and believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to eternity, the only way that we can have new life and have this joy. And so if you're here today and you don't know that joy, you don't know this future inheritance, you don't have this living hope that we talked about, can I just ask you to look back at what do you believe about Jesus? Go back and say, who is he? I was having a conversation with someone before the service here about some of the conversations they're having about, uh, and this stemmed from the adult discipleship hour of, of who is Jesus. And some people, they, they think, well, Jesus, he was just this wonderful prophet. He was a, he's not really the son of God like the Bible talks about, but he was just this wonderful teacher. You know, C.S. Lewis brought this argument that Josh McDowell later on popularized is that he says, listen, you can't have it that way. There's only three options for Jesus. He's either a Lord, he's a liar, he's a lunatic. He's either who he says he was, and he's Lord, the Son of God, or he's a liar. And if he's a liar, he can't be just a good prophet. Because what prophet would be considered a good prophet if he's lying about who he said he was? And the other thing is that he, or if he's not that, he's just a crazy person. Why would you revere a crazy person? Because in that time, you know, if I walk down the street and I say, I'm God, people are just going to look at me weird. But in Jesus' day, for him to say God, they killed him for it. You see, he, he has to be who he says he was. So who do you believe Jesus is? Is he the son of God? Is he the only way of of salvation? I pray that you believe that. And if you have questions about that, talk to me afterwards. I'd love to talk to you about that.